Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I don't care what time it is, wherever you're listening to this. I'm just glad you're listening. This is the Football Scoop Podcast. We're back. Week 9 preview. Like I've told Zach in prior weeks, they get better every week, baby. And then you'll be sad when they're not here anymore. Just like my kids. <laughs> I'm Scott Roussel. I got Zach Barnett, John Bryce. My wife almost punched me in the face one time when I answered that question. She said, what's been your favorite time? I said, every day gets better. She looked at me like, I'm going to kill you. True story. <laughs> She likes to share that. She shares it in a more elongated manner than I just did, but that's okay. Gentlemen, how are we doing? So to that point, uh, almost every single year on New Year's, Jess's toast is to our best year yet. And so um, that unbridled optimism uh, is a lot like Billy Mumphrey or something. So anyway, um, I'm, I'm not of that mold. I'm still, uh, I'm team Zach that week seven will be almost impossible to beat this year. Doesn't mean other weeks aren't good. It's just right. one week has to be the best. It doesn't that if that was a 15, the other weeks can still be a 10. I have to defend myself before I get gonged before speaking on yeah. the last time. I would agree with you. <clears throat> I'm glad you got a word in. Yeah. Gentlemen, they are college football experts. They know the world of football better than most of us do. I love hearing their thoughts each and every week. What I wanted to do today was talk about the games coming up week nine. We're recording this Thursday. Thursday night, we've got a couple of great games, which I think will be great games. Um, And then we go Friday, and then we go Saturday. Big boys, let's dive right in. Gentlemen, tonight, a couple of games, including top 25 teams. We've got Virginia Tech at NC State and Utah at Washington State. Let's talk Virginia Tech, NC State. One team's five and two, one team's two and five. Are we going to get a good game out of this one? Uh, I think right now NC State can't take anything for granted uh, with Leary hurt and trying to find its footing on offense. And look, Virginia Tech is looking for that one foundational moment in a, in a tough transition season. So I think it will be a competitive game. I think that um, both sides are playing for different things, but both sides have a lot to play for. Yeah, Virginia Tech obviously is, is struggling through its transition, but it's still a name brand program in the ACC. And NC State has not beaten Virginia Tech since 2004. Now, uh, granted, they don't play every year or close every year. But still, it's been almost 20 years since you've beaten one of the name brand programs in your conference. So this is a, a good opportunity for them. Good opportunity for Jack Chambers, who's uh, you know in for Devin Leary. He's a Charleston Southern transfer. Didn't have a great game against Syracuse. Wipe the slate clean, like go out and, and have a great game. And, and NC State, it's not going to be the season they dreamed of, you know, back in August, but it can still be a successful season for them. NC State never makes it easy. I think no. Virginia Tech might, might, might show up, give them a little scare. <clears throat> yeah. My, okay. So my friend, uh, Mike Finger, a columnist for the San Antonio Express News, you know, a, a year or a while back, remember when Staples was doing those ads that they had the easy button? You could hit, click the easy button. Mm-hmm. He, Said, he was talking about the Spurs and said, sometimes this team clicks the hard button. And there are some certain programs out there in college football that click the hard button, and NC State is a top five hard button program. Top five hard button program. I like that. All right, let's 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 transition. Utah's at Wazoo. This one's late, 9 o'clock uh, Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern. That's fun. We're going to get weird, aren't we? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited for this game. This is a game. Today's a travel day for me. This is a game that I know I'll be getting home around 1030 Eastern. And I promise you the first thing I'm going to do is flip on this game. I'm going to be really fired up for it. I should be able to stay up till the end. Um, Wazoo has been impressive 
they've uh, done some good things with Ward, the quarterback they got from Incarnate Word. Obviously, uh, Utah has some regained momentum after the big win against USC. I think this is going to be an excellent football game tonight. Agreed. Slaughter. Yeah, I should have I should have written about this for on the line, but uh, it just came to me now. But there's a it feels like there's a long history in the Pac-12 of you know cross division North team going south, South team going north. Night game, especially weeknight road trip, you know, long trip. Even though it's Salt Lake to Pullman's not that far, but still, it's just it, it's a long history of favorites going on the road at night weeknight games in that conference and, and going down and, and walking into a pit of vipers. And so this, this game has high Viper potential. High Viper potential. I'm loving some great to today. Yeah. Fire. All right. I'm, I'm going to throw one more at you because there is one more FBS game tonight. Louisiana Lafayette at Southern Miss, you know, on paper you go, ah, Lafayette beats Southern Miss, you know, nine times out of 10 in the past. Lafayette's not as good. Southern Miss has won four out of five, including a win, uh, over Tulane and a win on the road at Texas State last week. I mean, yeah, I yeah, these teams, you know, they, they have a long, they've traded conferences, all that stuff, but now they're in the Sun Belt and it looks like they're going to be in the Sun Belt together. They're going to play every year. They're neighbors four hours apart. This is an opportunity to, to rekindle or grow what could be a, a really good Sun Belt rivalry. We got, we got ball Friday night. Unfortunately, we don't have a four-hour podcast, so I'm going to go Saturday. I'm going to talk some top 25. You guys don't mind. Give me five seconds. I want to start. Normally, I start the 11 o'clocks, move on. I'm not necessarily going to start there this time. I'm going to start Florida, Georgia. Give me some thoughts on uh, on this one. You know, uh, it's interesting because Florida coaches who are embraced are the coaches that um, really take control in this, this series. It's what made Steve Spurrier – um, such a legend as a player and as a coach. Uh, we saw Will Muschamp and, and Dan Mullen unable to gain level footing in this one. And then obviously um, Billy Napier, not to the extent that we've seen at Texas A&M, but there have been some um, part of the culture change at Florida has been a little bit rough, especially in, in recent weeks. I think there's some videos out there of Florida players at the Alabama game uh, last weekend wearing Alabama gear and things like that. So it's an important game for, yeah, that was out there on uh, Instagram and some other social media. They had gone to Alabama for the for the weekend, and some player posted a video from the Florida locker room uh, complaining about things. So this is a, a big moment. I don't think anybody expects Florida necessarily to win this game, but I think the way Florida performs in this game is going to be a big culture moment for Billy Napier, and a lot of people will be watching to that to that end. I mean, it seems like Florida is about to go to Jacksonville and get rocked. That just it just seems like that to me. Georgia, you're you know they had a I guess you could call it a midseason lull. You know the grind or whatever. You're you, if you're defending national champions, you're not up to play Missouri. It's human nature. But now you got a rivalry game. You're gearing up for Tennessee. Next week, right, John? It's Tennessee's yeah. next week. Actually, yeah. So I, I think Georgia is, you know, starting that ramp up to, you know, December, January, and I think uh, they're going to start playing their best ball again, and I think that starts Saturday, and I think Georgia blows them out. One thing to note about this game is to um, 
everyone knows it used to be known as the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. It will always be known as that. Yeah, I know. Now it's like the world's largest outdoor party or whatever they've changed the the name to in Jacksonville, Florida, as it's been for a really long time with a couple of rare one-offs on campuses. There is a strong, strong push to move this back to an on-campus game. And I think that could happen uh, potentially as early as 2024. So that's, uh, as you watch college football this weekend, bear in mind that it may be one of the last times for this uh, neutral site rivalry. Let's jump to the Tennessee game. You mentioned Tennessee next week uh, with Georgia. Kentucky's at Tennessee this week. How's that one play out? Yeah, I think the Vols are going to roll. I'll be honest with you. Um, I think the line opened at minus 11 earlier this week. I was surprised that it wasn't two touchdowns to begin with. I think um, I think people who know a lot more in Vegas saw that line quickly move to a couple of touchdowns. Um, Kentucky's middle linebacker, I think, like Jock Jones, um, he's out in this contest. Tennessee's going with their all black uniforms for the first time. It's a night game. I I just fully expect Tennessee to roll in this game. Unless look, Kentucky had 40, 46 minutes of possession last year in the game and lost in regulation. I don't know how much better Kentucky can find a formula and yet Mm -hmm. still lose a game. And I don't think Kentucky can do that this year because it's not as good on the offensive line. And Will Levis has still proved turnover prone. Yeah, I'm 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 just a big believer in Hinton Hooker. You know, we mentioned this the mm-hmm. the quote a couple times on this podcast, and it's kind of a joke, but also mostly true. Like that he was talking about UT Martin in the post game after they beat Alabama. Like that's a guy. He's 24 years old. He's older than some starting NFL quarterbacks. Like it's, he's a guy who's been around the block and seen a lot and put in a lot of hours, a lot of time practicing in hopes of being able to lead a team like he has right now that's number three in the country as we head towards November. So I don't I I, I just don't see him, you know, letting, you know, this potential trap game, whatever, the Georgia game coming up. I I don't see him allowing Tennessee to play anything less than, you know, close to its best. You know, anything yeah. less than a 90, 95% type game. And He's and fun. the balls and the balls are optimistic that they're going to get back Cedric Tillman, the all-SEC wide receiver, for at least um, a limited number of plays in this game. And he has not played since uh, the third week of the season against Akron, I believe. And so he's he's overcome his tightrope surgery. He's fully healed. It's been right at six weeks. So there's great optimism that Tillman is going to return to this already insane offense for Tennessee's very important closing stretch. Yeah, Hooker's easy to cheer for. He's a, <clears throat> he's a, he's a good – he seems like a very – Good young man. Ohio State goes to Penn State. Penn State have a shot just to, to make it a fun game to see what if it gets weird or no? I think Penn State does. I think um, this is a challenge game for Penn State. They were there at the half with Michigan. There was the jawing back and forth, and then Penn State got absolutely run out of the stadium. This has been a game that's been very personal through the years for James Franklin. This has been the one where – um, he famously went on that rant a few years ago and talked about we're an elite program too and we need to play like it. Um, so this is a this is a huge game for Penn State. I don't expect Penn State to win, um, but Penn State's had a knack to make things ugly and, and to muck it up enough to make these four quarter games against Ohio State, especially when Penn State is the home team. Yeah, so I mean, the the lead for me for for on the line was you know everybody's been talking about Jimbo and his deal, and A and M's obviously one of the most disappointing teams. But James Franklin got a huge deal uh, last year, and uh, Mel Tucker got huge deals. 
And, you know, Michigan State's a 500 team. Penn State's kind of in that purgatory where they're a good team, but they're pretty far from being a great team. Like since since James Franklin, when he against Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State, he's 7 and 18. Not good. Yeah. And that's the worst record by three games um, among those big four in the Big Ten East. And he, he beat uh, Ohio State that one time and, uh, you know, well deserved kudos. And played them close two years, but other than that, I mean, they've been a step below, a step behind Ohio State, and they just don't have the players that Ohio State does, and not very many people do. But they don't have the players that Michigan does, and it, it shows when they play those two teams. So, uh, I, can they keep it close? Yeah, but will Ohio State ever be in legitimate threat of losing this game? You know, I say no. I could see them still winning by thirteen, but it's a it's a safe, comfortable thirteen. If that makes the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Oklahoma State, K-State, huge game, uh, Big 12. Give me some thoughts, Zach. Yeah, huge. Obviously, you got to start with the the health of, of K-State. You know, Spencer Sanders, the, the Oklahoma State quarterback, there's questions about him against TCU, Texas. He played the whole game against Texas, looked fine. Now K-State has quarterback uh, questions. It looks like Adrian Martinez may or may not play, probably leaning towards may not. Will Howard went down against TCU, the backup, the guy that's Started there the past couple of years before Martinez showed up. He uh, he went down during the TCU game, came back. You know, K-State's going to be without multiple starters. So, you know, that, that's been in these big, big 12 games. It's been the healthier team, the team that's home has won the game. So Oklahoma State's probably the healthier team. K-State's going to be without multiple starters. But K-State's at home. Uh, the Deuce Vaughn's healthy. And so uh, if Oklahoma State or if Kansas State can effectively spread the ball, spread the field to run the ball and create, you know, mismatches and assignment conflict for Oklahoma State in the second level, they're going to win the game. If not, Oklahoma State's going to win. I This is a, another toss up game for me. Yeah, I think I would just say the grit that Oklahoma State displayed a, a week ago, down 10 and scoring the final 17 points of the game, that to me shows an incredible amount of resolve, an incredible amount of belief in all situations. And then just personally, I would really hope that there's some way Adrian Martinez is healthy enough to play um, a little bit low-key compared to a guy like Hendon Hooker. But what Martinez has been able to do this season is really awesome for college football, especially – Again, when you consider a career arc that began with that kid committing to then University of Tennessee coach Butch Jones and then all the losses he absorbed after landing last minute at Nebraska and now having a chance to experience some real breakthrough moments. So just on a college football fan personal level, you hope Adrian Martinez gets back way sooner than later and has a, more opportunities in these fabulous games. Yeah, yeah. fun to watch too. Uh, going back to your point, uh, John, I've, I've never sat down and, and, you know, ranked my top 25 coaches just because it's so hard to do. But I think if I ever, you know, sat down and do it, I might end up putting Mike Gunning in the top five. Like he is a he the amount of times that he gets more than 100 percent out of the sum of his parts far outweighs the time he times he gets less. I think a fascinating study would be to see how much Oklahoma State has won the last 15 years versus what its aggregate recruiting rankings were during that time. Because with the exception of some rare, highly regarded wide receivers, um, they have been probably a top 50, top 60 recruiting team, but they've been a fringe CFP contender a number of years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think anybody's questioning Gundy's 
credentials. He's legit. Yeah. Uh, all right. Michigan's got Michigan State coming to town. I think I don't even know. I don't, I don't think I'm allowed to say what I think Michigan's going to do here, uh, but I think Michigan's going to do it. Yeah. I, go ahead, Zach. Uh, I, I agree with you, but I, I can promise you, if you go back through the Jim Harbaugh era, we've there's been a lot of times when we're like, oh, Michigan's going to throttle Michigan State, and then Michigan State finds a way to win the game. You know, uh, the, the we're seven years removed from the, the oh yes, trouble with the snap game, and uh, I think. Uh, isn't Mel Tucker two and zero against? Uh, I think he's two and zero against Jim Harbaugh. Wow. And last year was a top ten showdown. The Michigan State won in East Lansing, but I believe they 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 were under five hundred in twenty twenty and, and went to Ann Arbor and won. So, you know, I, I, I'm still going to pick Michigan to win. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't. Um, I know there have been some hiccups along the way, but we've seen uh, Jim Harbaugh remove some of those hiccups with the way that Michigan mm-hmm. has handled uh, some earlier games this year with the way that Michigan just uh, separated itself in the second half from that uh, Penn State. Already we had seen uh, what had been a problematic game for Michigan at previous times against Iowa. We've already seen Michigan handle that game really comfortably this year. So I just think that um, – yeah, Mel Tucker got the bag, and then um, it was a little bit premature, not taking away from what Mel Tucker did last year, but Michigan State was not positioned for sustained uh, big-time relevance and big-time football. And to, to Zach's point, it was a very narrow 37-33 Michigan State win at home last year. Um, and Sparty made a number of plays to get that win, but I don't see Sparty having that ability this year. And um, it's not a revenge tour, but but I think Michigan absolutely bludgeons Michigan State this weekend. I, I agree with you. I would be very interested to see, you know, go back and really study it and think through it and everything. Was making a change from Don Brown to Mike McDonald, was that the biggest change in, in, in Harbaugh's Michigan turnaround? Because it just wasn't good for a couple of years, and, and now it's pretty darn good. I think you can make that argument, and I think we got to give a shout out to Sharon Moore. The, yeah, Sharon Moore's done a fantastic job. Yeah, absolutely I mean, fantastic job. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, you look at the struggles Josh Gaddis has had at Miami, and then how Michigan's just chugged along, and it's it's been a great job, great uh, great fall for him so far. Like they could win, they might win back to back Joe Moore awards. Who knows? Yeah, on the offensive side, that's the change, right? So Gaddis was he was OC the whole time, garbage to to pretty good. Sharon Moore stepped in to that role and you know, moved down to the offensive line job with that last year, right? That Gaddis mm-hmm. or the year before, right? When Gaddis. Yeah, 2021 was his first year coaching the O-line. As the O-line, right. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, uh, and just real quickly, it also points to the uh, critical nature and the competency of Michigan's quarterback play. And Michigan is not getting out of this world quarterback play but Michigan is getting very competent, stable quarterback play. And I, that's, yeah, I mean, that's the formula for Jim Harbaugh and company. Yeah. And shout out to the coaches for making that hard decision. Cause Cade McNamara, you know, led them to their best season in a long time last year, coming back. Great guy, great leader in the locker room, but they made the decision that JJ, the younger guy is the, the right quarterback for this team. And it's worked out for him. Yep. Okay. So West Virginia coming off just a rough, rough loss. Uh, has TCU. TCU is playing very well. It, it it has you concerned here for West Virginia. How's this one play out? 
Uh, uh, TCU has not won in Morgantown in a long time. In fact, their last three times they went to Morgantown, they've gotten blown out. Now, this is the best TCU team that's gone to Morgantown in a long time, and uh, you know maybe the uh, maybe the worst West Virginia team. I don't know, but you you got. I mean, going on the road, they've had four straight, you know, fourth quarter emotional games. Two two of them, you know, stirring comebacks. So, are are they are they propelled? Are they energized by all those games, or are they running on fumes? You know. Yeah. I can see I I could see this game. I could see TCU winning 35-14, or I could see this game where everybody's like, oh, it's it's 21-17 in the fourth quarter. Morgantown Magic, right. I agree. Yeah. yeah. My thing is um obviously it's no secret the pressure is is mounting to critical levels in Morgantown for that coaching staff to get wins. They had an absolute abomination on the road a week ago, and now they have to play this game at noon. That's a huge boost to TCU, in my opinion, given the way West Virginia played last weekend, given everything swirling around the program, and given the way that TCU is playing week after week after week. Uh, I'm with Zach. on. Ex- I expect this one to be a 35-14, 42-21 type game, uh, type win for TCU. I kind of think so, but Morgantown Magic, things get weird. I don't know. But not at noon. Not at noon. I just don't think it gets as weird at noon. You're right. You're absolutely right on that front. Uh, all right. Lane Train is going to Texas A&M. I've, uh, I, don't, I don't have as many cool terms as Zach does, but the one I've used uh, a few times on the podcast this year is a plant your flag game. And this absolutely is a plant your flag game for Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher. Um, mm-hmm. the, the volume of chatter that we're hearing of, out of dysfunction and dissatisfaction in College Station, I would say, is the peak of anywhere in college football right now. Um, I was asked on a Nashville radio show the other day to name my most disappointing teams in college football. Um, it's a really quick trip to find Texas A&M as one of the most disappointing teams in college football, not just this year, but in the last few years under Jimbo Fisher. And uh, I just think this game means tons to A&M. And now all the off-the-field distractions all week long sets up well for Lane and company to go compound their misery. And we've already seen, and Zach's already written about uh, Lane's wit. He loves to poke when there's something to be poked. Yeah. And you look at how long it's been since AM scored more than what, 24 points against the power five team. Uh, how long it's been since they've had a 300 yard passer. And it seems like Wegman, the freshman is going to get the start. Like Jimbo said that Haynes King's available. But uh, I think everybody expects Wigman to start, and uh, I'm sure it'll be. A, I'm sure the the crowd will be behind him early. But if 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 Ole Miss uh, gets ahead, I think you'll see a lot of Aggies start sitting on their hands. And the, if they don't win this game, the talk's going to be that that they're going to go four and eight. That's going to be the expectation if they don't win this game. If if they do win, you know, six and six, seven and five, hey, at least we had a bowl game. But if they don't win, it's going to be people are going to be thinking you're going to have a hundred thousand Aggies thinking we're going four and eight. I know uh, for those of you who have been with Football Scoop for a long time, followed us, everybody knows Zach's a big fan of Tulane's uniforms. Tulane mm-hmm. has some fresh, fantastic. I'll tell you, Ole Miss's uniforms have stepped up in a big way in the past couple of years. What they wore at LSU was fantastic. The whites with the reds, fantastic. It's uh, it's hard to mess up red, white, and blue. Great, great uniform, great colors. For, a long, time, go. for a long time, Ole Miss messed up red, white, and blue. A long time. I would say, except when you try to go 
uh, icy white camouflage. That was uh, of oh, my old, of the Ole Miss looks. Not a big fan of that one, but otherwise, the Rebs absolutely have some of the cleanest uniforms in college ball this year. There are things you do for reasons, and that was for reasons. And moving on. Yeah. All right, Notre Dame is traveling to Syracuse. Uh, you know, we all talked about this. Syracuse had a great start, kind of a soft schedule. The back end is harder. Notre Dame go up there and put two 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 L's in a row on Syracuse's uh, schedule. You know, um, another one, again, I'm not leaning too much on Vegas, but I found this fascinating that last Sunday Notre Dame opened as like a one-and-a-half point favorite. Now that line quickly shifted and Syracuse became a two-point favorite. I expect this to be a one-possession game into the fourth quarter. Anybody's game can uh, – anybody's game to win. Notre Dame obviously still has – Tremendous issues on the offensive side of the ball. Um, put together a really nice stretch against California, um, North Carolina, and BYU, especially those North Carolina and BYU wins where the offense was super efficient. Drew Pine was playing at a high level. Um, but then we saw last weekend Drew Pine took a hard shot at the goal line and had to come out for a couple of plays. And Notre Dame had to turn to a true freshman who's only been on campus since January. Um, they used a, a tight end to take a direct snap and score a touchdown rather than have Steve Angeli handing the ball off at the goal line. Uh, I just think that um, Syracuse's defense, as much as anything, and Schrader's ability to run the ball will make this a four-quarter game. Agreed. Yeah, uh, this is the – Syracuse has sold out the Carrier Dome 11 times in its history, and two of those have been their last two home games. So uh, – I'm sure a lot of it will be Irish fans. I'm sure there'll be plenty of Irish fans uh, in New York. But I mean, if you're Syracuse and you can start seven and one with a with a win over Notre Dame, that's a great start to the season. So, oh, I, amen. Yeah. If they give the ball to their starting running back more than five times, they're going to win the game. No, uh, Notre Dame has to either get another special team score, like it blocked two punts last week against UNLV. Or it's got to get a, a turn away, a turnover that either is a score or sets up an easy score. I will say, much like in Morgantown and some of these other games, it will be a, a great environment at the artist formerly known as the Carrier Dome, now RCA Wireless or what it is. But the fact that it's a noon game um, because uh, Clemson managed to come back and beat Syracuse last week, that game shifted from a night game to a noon game. I do think that's a moderate help for the road team. So this is the beauty of Syracuse. Zach, Zach called it the carrier. <laughs> JB said the RCA wireless or whatever it is. I think it's actually like JMA wireless. I have no idea. No one knows. No one cares. Moving on. Oregon was outstanding. It's UCLA. Zach had a great article basically making the pitch. It was the best performance of the season uh, in all games, not just Oregon games, all college football. Uh, Oregon goes to Cal. Potential letdown game, trap game. I don't think so. I think Oregon just handles Cal and keeps moving. Yeah. If 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 Cal can lose to Colorado, I don't see them beating Oregon. That wasn't very nice. <laughs> Again, Cal Cal has some some really nice pieces, and especially on the defensive side of the ball, just not remotely enough offense to win a game like this. Big game for Scott Satterfield. Wake comes to town, comes to Louisville. Uh, Wake, well-coached, well-disciplined. Um Wake should win this on paper. Scott Satterfield knows that, and Scott Satterfield has a plan. Uh, I think Louisville gives them way more than they want. I think Louisville might win the game. That would be fantastic for Scott Satterfield because they there's not a gimme. They're four and three, and they don't have a gimme left on their schedule because they got uh, 
four more ACC games and all against currently ranked teams, and then they get James Madison as their as their non conference game. So if if they can get if they can get Wake at home, that that's a great boost to his job security. Well, and also Zach, to your point. They still have the Commonwealth Cup at yeah. Kentucky, and Kentucky has absolutely bludgeoned Louisville in recent iterations of that game, especially a year ago. A year ago was what truly ignited the runaway hype train on Will Levis for what he helped Kentucky do to Louisville in this rivalry game at Louisville. And so, yeah, I uh, Scott Satterfield needs all of the wins that he can possibly get. It was a huge one last weekend for that regime to outlast Pitt, um, but I don't see it in this weekend. I know I know what uh, Scott has said, but I'm going the opposite direction. I think this Wake team just has a way of handling the business it's supposed to handle week in and week out. Bert heads to Nebraska. Um, I think we I think we all thought that as the, the calendar ticked towards the end of October, that this would be a top 20 matchup with one of those teams. <laughs> I, I mean, this was, this was a no brainer. So no, um, you know, Nebraska is just a crossroads program in a complete state of flux. And as I alluded to last week, um, Bart's got his guys playing really well and a really overpoweringly physical style of football. I expect that to continue this weekend in Lincoln. Yeah, the over-under on uh, Nebraska offensive touchdowns is one and a half. I was biting my tongue trying to decide if I really wanted to say this, but I really do want to say this. Uh, Brett, was he had Wisconsin operating at a, at a high level, and he wrote a letter to Jeff Long, said, hey, hey, if, if you wanted to have a conversation, I'd have a conversation. Um, boy, Brett – at Nebraska checks a lot of the boxes for what Nebraska would be looking for. Mm-hmm. I'm just mm-hmm. going to say that and I'm going to move on. Cincinnati goes to UCF. Uh, Gus wants to win this one in a bad way. Does Gus have a shot? Yeah, they have a shot for sure. Yeah, they um, but, but they're, they're arguably one of the most inconsistent solid teams anywhere in college football this year. I mean, they have, put up some prodigious numbers and they just score 70 a couple of weeks ago. Yep. And then, um, you know, we're made to walk the plank the very next week by ECU. So which, which UCF team shows up, what kind of environment is the bounce house? Uh, this is a Cincinnati team that won't be wowed by those factors. And, and again, uh, plays up to the level of competition. I expect Cincinnati to play well in this contest. Yeah. It seems like going back to Auburn, Gus's offense are either, it's either completely unstoppable or they can't get a first down. And it seems like there's not much in between. And we've seen that uh, bore out in their last two games. Uh, Cincinnati. So uh, UCF owns the, or uh, had won 19 straight AAC games. Uh, It was a conference record 2019 Cincinnati snapped that streak at home on a Friday night. It was really, it was Luke Fickle's coming out party. Fast forward now, Cincinnati has won 19 straight games and can set that record against UCF at the bounce house. Or UCF get in the record and return the favor. So either way, it's going to be a, a happy locker room on one side. Yeah, and and I will say tough, tough on the schedule in for the Bearcats to have to go to SMU last week and, and really hold off 
um, SMU's last ditch rally and then get home and then have to turn around and fly back to Orlando this week. So that is uh, a little bit tougher go of things for the Bearcats. And again, we, we've seen Cincinnati, I think, play at a consistently high level. We've seen UCF be up and down. This is a game I expect UCF to very much be up for. Um, but it was a game that last year wasn't even close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is this is a tough one. We'll see. Missouri is at South Carolina. It's a game that Eli needs his team to show up for. Uh, Shane Beamer's team is is talented and has produced some wins. Uh, I think there's a lot of people wondering: Is South Carolina really there or not? Uh, and we'll see. This is a, this is a kind of a proving round for South Carolina. They just need to handle business and move on. But I'm not sure they will. We'll see. Yeah, four wins in a row for the Gamecocks. Uh, cracked into the AP Top 25 this week after the win last week against Texas A&M. Uh, the thing is, I think you're seeing a South Carolina program that is embracing its coach, having a lot of fun. I do think that Shane Beamer, maybe contrary to what some other people believe, has a good culture for his University of South Carolina program. I think the buy-in there is significant. I think there's a genuine like among each other. I don't think you can say there's a lot of like in the Texas A&M locker room right now. So because of that, I do expect South Carolina to take care of business this week. Um, But then the Gamecocks still have a much stiffer test down the road against the Tennessee that I think will show a lot more about how far this Gamecocks program has come since it was absolutely obliterated by Georgia the second or third week of the season. Yeah. Uh, I mean, football, football is such a grind that, you know, when I think about teams and, and the rhythms of their seasons, you know, I, I approach so much of it, of it as, is this team, are there players and coaches in their heart of hearts, are they excited to show up that to work that Sunday after the game, or are they dreading it and doing it out of obligation? And South Carolina, they were excited to get there on Sunday and set the tone for what I anticipate to be a great week of practice. Night game, it's going to be sold out. I think South Carolina plays great uh, and handles business against Missouri. So Missouri currently has three wins, one of them being uh, Abilene Christian, Vanderbilt, Louisiana Tech. So they got South Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee in a row. Then they have New Mexico State, and then they have Arkansas to close it out. They're, I mean, they're they're clearly the thirteenth best team in a fourteen team conference in my mind, and they're, I, I mean, they're in a weird spot because you're in the SEC, it's the NFL of college football, but they're, you know, on that northwest corner, kind of on an island. Who's they're weird in the east? Who's their rival? I guess it's maybe Arkansas, but Arkansas doesn't care about them as much as they care. It's just like what. What's their identity? What What's their fit? You know, what's their path forward? It's just a weird situation all around, I think. And, and one more quick note on South Carolina. A reference to four-game winning streak. Missouri this week, Vanderbilt the next week. They need to push that to a six-game winning streak because, guys, their closing three games are at Florida, home against Tennessee, and then against Clemson. And so um, – they're obviously the only team in the country right now slated to close the regular season with games against the number three and number four teams in the country. Let's talk one ACC game, then we're going to go out west. So we got Pitt at North Carolina. Pitt's not playing great. North Carolina is six and one. How'd that happen? 
And Drake but one loss. Drake May. Uh, yeah. He's been – shout out to Phil Longo. He's done a great job with him. I think they're getting – you know, Sam Howell was their franchise quarterback for, for four years. I think they're getting better quarterback play now out of this – is he a redshirt freshman, true freshman? Redshirt, I think. Redshirt, redshirt, yeah. Out of this redshirt freshman than they did out of their fourth-year senior starter last this past season. Yeah, I watched I, him play against App, and I, I was like, guys, this guy's legit. I yeah. was beating that drum back then. He's he's fun to watch. Yeah, really really good size, really good stature, throws a, a really good ball. And, look, um, as we see more and more of these openings come open and we talk about how college football has never been more offensive-centric, Phil Longo is a, a name to continue to pay attention to. Um, he's, he's a guy that coaches have reached out to me this week and just said, hey, I want to go learn from that guy. And when you have coaches saying that about another coach, that tells you exactly how high the level of respect is. I'm with you on that. Uh, Pitt have a shot? I think, of course they got a shot. But. Of course they've got a shot if uh, Abanaconda is healthy uh, to, to anchor their ground game. He had that 337-yard game earlier this year. And if, if Pitt's defense can do some things to generate some turnovers, uh, this will be the best defense that North Carolina has seen since Notre Dame. And Notre Dame didn't do a great job, but Notre Dame did enough to get uh, North Carolina off schedule early in that contest. Didn't didn't Notre Dame put up forty plus on them? Forty five, yeah, yeah. That was a big deal for Notre Dame. Yeah, almost six hundred yards of offense for Notre Dame in that game. Forty five points, easily their best offensive game of the season. They followed it up the next week or, or two weeks later after their bye with a solid performance against BYU, but didn't have the efficiency in the red zone or, or scoring the way that they did against North Carolina. I think after App hung. 42 touchdowns in the fourth quarter and 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 late against North Carolina and then uh, Notre Dame poured it on. I think Chiswick obviously has made some adjustments and figured some way to slow some people down. So, yeah. and they're six and one. All right, moving out west. USC's at Arizona. Stanford's at UCLA. Give me some thoughts on either one. Um, yeah, I said something mean to close the on the line column, but, uh, you know, Stanford and UCLA have played every year since 1928 and, you know, this probably won't be the last time they play, but it's scheduled to be the last time they play. And so I wrote that all 20,000 people in the Rose Bowl will probably be feel emotional watching the, the Bruins and the Cardinal play. You got, you got that big of a crowd after the they <laughs> played last week? That's that's like setting Iowa's offensive over under above a field goal. Come on, <laughs> what are you doing, Zach? Um, but no, this is a um this is a game that that shows what UCLA is made of if it's a different mentality from in recent years for the Bruins. And uh, I think because of those reasons, I do think this is a different UCLA team and program, and I think the Bruins with DTR handle business. And then USC, USC has to bounce back. It can still um, factor into the CFP depending on how the rest of the, the next five weeks play out. So an important game in that regard for USC. And um, Arizona is stabilizing some things under Jed Fish, but I expect SC to absolutely pour it on in this contest. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure this is going to be USC's last Pac-12 network game. So here on out, ESPN and Fox mm-hmm. will put them as, in front of as many eyeballs as they can. I hesitate to bring this up because it's almost impolite, but you mentioned it. So Iowa plays football again this weekend, and they're favored by 11 because they're playing yeah. Western who just can't. Vegas is, I mean, according to the site I saw, I researched, Vegas is predicting a 24-13 Iowa win. How? How? <laughs> 
Maybe, maybe, guys, hear me out. Maybe we're going to get another four safety game this weekend in college football. It, I mean, it, it's got to be a defensive score or special team score to believe that Iowa uh, can get that kind of production this year offensively after we just have not remotely seen anything approaching those kind of prodigious numbers. I don't, or I don't as, believe Brian and Kirk, even Brian and Kirk Ferentz believe that Iowa can score three offensive touchdowns in a game. Like I bet you they're planning on like their plan for the game probably maxes out at 20 offensive points. And and didn't we see, and Scott referenced it, and, and I'm sure there are others, but didn't we see App State literally score three touchdowns in less than five minutes of, mm-hmm. a, of the fourth quarter? And we're sitting here talking about if it's feasible for a Power 5 Big Ten program to score three offensive touchdowns in an entire game. But that's where we are. It's, um, it's absolutely hideous football. I thought it was an embarrassing week for Kirk Ferentz, the way he attacked the media member and uh, and then issued a written apology after the fact. I didn't, that's just that's not who he is. And I was I was disappointed by that. And I would have that conversation. Uh, with yeah. Face to face. My Kirk Ferentz story is, you know, I voted on various, you know, all America panels and I'm a Belitnikoff award voter right now. And so in doing that for 10 years, the the only only one coach has ever reached out to me to stump for his guy. And it was Kirk Ferentz. So. He has it in him to be an incredibly, you know, nice, genuine, magnanimous person. And he was not that person this week. I'm looking around a couple other games uh, on the schedule. Arkansas goes to Auburn. That one could get weird. Arkansas, yeah. I mean, I think Sam Pittman needs his game more than more than Brian Harson does. Because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know that there's a whole lot Brian Harson can do to, to – to turn the ship around at this point, but Sam Pittman, you know, still has his approval rating within the the hog nation is high. And I think, you know, this season, you know, they're, they're very banged up, but you know, this season could end on a poor note following a a great 2021 season. So Arkansas hasn't won at Jordan Harris since 2012. And they've lost like five or six in a row to them outright, you know, no matter the location. So to, to go on the road and, and beat Auburn, this is a game Arkansas needs to get. Yeah, I com- completely agree with just kind of what's left still out there on the hog slate. Um, this, an, this is an important game uh, for them to find a way to win. There, there's no question whatsoever. All right, Coastal Carolina's at Marshall. That game could be a lot of fun. Absolutely, could be a lot what of is, fun. You know, what is Marshall? The, the, I, I don't know what to expect out of Marshall. And I, I feel like I have a good idea about what to expect out of Coastal, although they got pasted at home by Old Dominion. So. Yeah. Anything could happen there. All right. Last one I got on my schedule is game day is in Jackson, Mississippi for Southern at Jackson State. Dion has brought so much recognition to the area, to the city. This will be a huge event for Jackson, Mississippi, not to mention Jackson State University. I think it's fantastic. Uh, excited to see how they play as well. JB, you got any thoughts on that one? Yeah. How much does Shadur Sanders bounce back? Didn't have a great offensive game. Last week, we, we've heard Deion Sanders, I was on the SWAT call early in the week, really challenging his son and saying, you know, cut that mess out where you're trying to throw a fade, a stop-and-go fade in, in a goal-to-go situation. We need to run the darn ball. We need to want it more. So I think that that because of that, Jackson State will respond really well. And then the Jackson State defense has been stellar all year long um, among the statistical leaders in basically every category at the FCS level, but with 
with game day being there with a bigger spotlight than ever before on the Jackson State program in this modern era of college football, I expect Dion's guys to, to really show out, and I expect Shador Sanders uh, to have a massive game for Jackson State. All right, we're late in this one, so I want to wrap it up fairly soon. But talk to me about – so Jackson State is undefeated. They they have a couple of tests to go, including Southern. And I know they got uh, Campbell down the line, right? No, they, no, they, 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 last week, yeah. they got Alcorn at the mm-hmm. end. What happens if Jackson State w- winds up undefeated? Well, they still go to the Celebration Bowl. We saw it a year ago. We saw Jackson State – not go undefeated, but win the SWAC and go to the Celebration Bowl and play South Carolina State. And then I think FAMU ended up getting an at-large FCS playoff bid. So a team like Southern, if it wins out with the exception of this game, could be positioned to potentially be an FCS playoff team. Again, I think that's something that Deion Sanders has talked very openly about wishing he could change. Now, that Celebration Bowl is a huge deal. It's always a nationally televised game. It's in Atlanta. They do a great job with it. It's very important for all of those leagues. You would like to see uh, a situation where maybe you could play that game and still be a playoff team or something along those lines because I know I'm not the only one wondering how far could this Jackson State team go in the playoffs this year. I would love to see that, honestly. I would love to see Jackson State in the FCS playoffs. That would be fantastic, and it's a shame that it's not going to happen. Like so, a, a Jackson State, South Dakota State game. Like that would be great. Third round that would be of the fantastic. I, I suspect you'll hear Prime talk on this very topic uh, this week on game day. I think you'll hear him stumping a little bit. And we'll see what comes out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be great for HBCUs, and it most importantly, it'd be great for me to watch that. All right. Any closing thoughts, gentlemen? Okay. I want to I want to talk about the Oklahoma State, Oklahoma-Iowa State game. Let me get my Big 12 zealot on. Uh, this is two teams that are one's one and three. The other's zero oh and four. These are good football teams. Oklahoma with Dylan Gabriel is a good football. They're good on offense. They're still a disaster on defense. Iowa State is great on defense, a mess on offense. I think this is this is going to be an exciting game that could go either way. And there's a chance that both teams are one and four in conference play after that. And then uh, Baylor at Texas Tech. You got Joey McGuire, a lot of friends, both sides on the staffs there. Uh, Tech's four and zero oh at home. So I, I think they're going to knock off the defending Big 12 champs at home and, and move to 5-0 and in Lubbock. Wow. My, mine would be the Ohio Bobcats. They're 5-3. and three. They're second in, in the MAC East. They had a nice win last week against Northern Illinois. It's been a big bounce-back season for the Bobcats. They don't play this weekend, but we get the, the run of craziness next week. They play Tuesday night against Buffalo. And so um, – <laughs> going to be one of those fun weeks with a lot of random nights of college football but shout out to Ohio and especially what the Bobcats have gotten done on the offensive side of the ball this year um they're going to challenge for the MAC title I believe starting tonight Thursday night I think for the next at least three weeks we have football every night mm-hmm. every night, every Tuesday every Wednesday you know beginning tonight this Thursday we're good go action get it up well, whoever else plays on Tuesdays and Wednesdays God bless their heart <laughs> Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Week nine is going to be fantastic. Probably better than week seven. Probably. Who knows? <laughs> no. It's got a shot. Uh, Football Scoop Podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Tell everybody you know. Help us grow. Uh, the growth has been fantastic. The feedback has been fantastic. On on Twitter, I'm Football Scoop. He's Zach Barnett. Zach underscore Barnett. He's John D. Bryce. One. It's going to be a great week. Talk to everybody soon. Bye-bye.